All right. We are glad that you're here. If you are new, my name is Jeff Kerr. My wife, Christy. Christy's not here today. We got some sick people at home today. Um, we pastor the church. We planted Homestead Church coming up on four years ago, which is crazy to think about. It's been four years. And uh, yes. All right. Hooray for almost four years. We, um, and uh, it has been a wonderful journey. But if you are new, we love to have guests join us, and people are visiting every week. I'd love to meet you after the service. Shake your hand, see if there's any questions I could answer about the church. Um, we are starting a new series today, and this has been something I've been wanting to do for a while. And in a few weeks, I'll decide if it was a good idea or not. Um, but we are starting a series called Long Story Short. Long Story Short. Now, the point of this series, we're going to take seven weeks, and so you're here on week one, you're getting in right at the beginning of the story, and you're going you're gonna to be one week smarter than everybody else who shows up next week, all right? But we're going to take seven weeks, and we're going to go through the Bible, okay? We're not going to read the whole Bible in seven weeks. Uh, we're going gonna, gonna to be kind of a high-level kind of story of the whole Bible. So we are starting at the beginning today, and in seven weeks, we're going to work through kind of the basic story that weaves throughout the Bible, okay? They're going to look at different things, and I'm excited about it. I think that we need to do a better job of just general Bible knowledge. In our world, certainly, I need to always kind of brush up on things. It actually, this series stems from several years ago. It was the first time. Now, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I went to Bible college. You know, I've done all. I've been to youth camps and all the things. But up until maybe 10, 15 years, somewhere in there, I'd never really just started at the beginning of the Bible and worked my way through. And I took a year, it was a year-long thing, and I said, my goal this year is to read through the Bible. Now, I did that, you know, cover to cover. Now, to, let's be honest, there's some, there's some dry moments in there, right? There's some stuff you're like, oh, man. And we'll talk about those a little bit. And maybe you've decided to read through the Bible, and you get about three books in, and you're like, this is not going anywhere. Like, I am giving up. But... I pressed through and I read through the whole Bible and stories that I'd heard my whole life, things that I knew about Scripture my whole life, it just came alive in a whole different way because I understood the context of what was going on. I understood the big picture. So that's kind of what I want to do in this, in this series, to provide a little bit of context, to provide some insight so that when you are reading something in the Old Testament, you can have an idea of, oh, well, this fits here. Oh, well, this is, they're talking about this. Have you ever read a book, like a novel, and maybe you, um, maybe you took a few days off or a week off and you picked it up again and you started reading again and you're like, I don't even know who these people are anymore. Have you ever been there where I find myself like, these people seem like they're having an important conversation, but I, can't, I have no idea what they're talking about. And you have to go back and be like, who is this guy and why is this important? And I think sometimes we get that way with the Scripture where maybe a preacher will say a verse and you're like, well, that sounds nice, but I have no idea what they're talking about. Right? Have you ever been there? And you can, you can be, like, be honest. We're going to be honest. I've been there. I'm like, I don't know where that fits. So to provide a little bit of context so that you can understand kind of the big story of what we're doing. So I have a couple things. If you have a Bible, bring a Bible. And if you have one, you can pull it out. We're starting in Genesis chapter 1, the, the very beginning. Um, there are black hardcover Bibles on the pews, most of the pews that you're sitting in if you want to follow along today. But I encourage you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. But I think most of us have one sitting at home somewhere. Bring it to church so you can kind of follow along and know what we're doing. And in addition to that, I don't know if we've got the ushers in the room here or somebody who can help us. Some of you grabbed one of these. What we've done is we have designed kind of like a Bible timeline. 
like a historical timeline of all the biblical. We, do we have that slide? There it is. So obviously, you know, we can really read that clearly with our, with our big font and high-tech projector system. Here's kind of the, a close-up of what we're talking about today. So we can just leave it on there. But this is the whole Bible all the books and the history of it and the timeline. So we want you to take one of these home so that you have it. Um, would, if anyone would like one right now, put up your hand. And anyone want one? Somebody put their hand up or else I'm going to feel like, what in the world are we doing? Okay, keep them up there. Megan, thank you, Megan. All right, so this is, we're going to follow through this. This is seven weeks that we're going to be talking about all this stuff. Now, I'm going to warn you today, we're not getting very far today in the first week, Okay. We're only going to get about the first half of Genesis covered. So moments, there's going to be moments when you're going to think, man, we are not moving fast enough on this. Seven weeks, the whole Bible, we're not moving fast enough. Um, But we are going to cover a lot of ground. It just happens to be that the first half of Genesis covers about 2,000 years of human history. So we're going to, you know, dive into that, provide a little bit of a background to how this whole thing began and what the whole idea of the Scripture is about. Everyone got one of these now? This is kind of a guide, but I don't want you reading it too too closely and not listening to what's going on, students. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so the Bible. If you have one, you um, I just want to give a little bit of an overview. The Bible is not one book. It's not like one guy. Des- it's not like one guy decided to sit down and write the whole Bible. It's a collection of books, about 66 different books, written by about 40 different authors. Okay, so 40 different people wrote parts of the Scripture. Some of them wrote a lot of it. You know, Moses wrote a lot of the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. We're going to talk a little bit about that. By the way, if you have, like, questions about Bible timeline and books and who wrote it, you can always do a Google search, and that'll give you lots of good information. But 66 different books, 40 different authors. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. So... That gives you a little bit of context. This is a long bit of human history that the Bible was written. The Bible was written that Moses wrote Genesis. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, but he wrote those in about the year 1400 B.C. So this was hundreds of years, you know, thousands of years after some of these events in Genesis happened. But Moses wrote that in 1400 B.C., and the last part of the New Testament was written, you know, near the end of the first century, you know, 80, 90 A.D., somewhere in there. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. The actual timeline of biblical events that you have here, you know, starting with Adam and Eve and going through Jesus and the disciples and then the, the last living disciple, the actual timeline of human history goes from about 4000 B.C., to about 70 or 80, the end of the first century A.D. Now, you know, we see that, we see um, throughout human history, and now what happened was, we have Adam and Eve, and we're going to talk about that today. Well, in certain chapters in Genesis, it gives genealogies. So people are like, well, how would you know it was 4,000 years ago? Well, it gives genealogies in Genesis chapter 5. I'm getting ahead of my notes here, but there's certain chapters in Genesis where it says, and Adam's son was this, and this son was this, and it kind of goes through from Adam to Noah, and then from Noah to Abraham. And then the first chapter of Matthew, you can read from Abraham, the genealogy, all the way down to Jesus. So people who've done some math, they said, well, we know how long people lived. We know how many generations there were. And so we can now decipher that this, um, you know, about 4,000 years or 6,000 years is human history between, you know, just doing simple math. So that was it. So we're going to get to that in just a second because some of you are thinking, now wait a minute. 
6,000 years. The earth is not 6,000 years old. And if you have college students here, you're like, if you went to your biology professor or your high school biology professor or an anthropology instructor or something like that, and you said, well, I know the earth is 6,000 years old, you would probably get an F in that class, right? Because they, you would, you've heard it. Science would say, well, no, the earth is not 6,000 years old. The earth is like 5 billion years old. The universe is not 6,000 years old. The universe is about 13 billion years old, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Some of you are like, okay, good. I finally know, you know what I can say to my friends or professors or anything like that. Um, okay, so the Bible broken up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some of you might be familiar with that. The Old Testament is the history of Israel. We're going to start at the beginning, Adam and Eve. It is the history of God's people, the nation of Israel, right up until the arrival of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is all the teachings and life of Jesus and the start of the church. So there's Old and there's New Testament. Um, we are starting today at the beginning of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's historical books. You can have uh, books that will talk about verifiable historical fact, nations, kings, rulers that lived. It's verifiable. Um, there's also books of prophecy where God spoke to people. God spoke to the prophets and said, I want you to speak to the nation of Israel on my behalf. So there are whole books of God's prophetic words to the nation of Israel. There's also books that are called wisdom literature, almost like poetry, psalms. The whole book of psalms is just a, a, a whole book of almost like worship choruses or just prayers. There are happy prayers in the book of Psalms. There's like, yay, you know, that's a Jeff Kerr translation. Yay, God has been good to us. Look at all that he's done. And then there are Psalms of lament and sorrow. God, how can you be so far away from me? How can you allow this to happen? If you have human emotion in your faith, there's going to be a Psalm in the book of Psalms that rings true for you. There is going to be you know, King David wrote a lot of the Psalms. There was other authors that they were going through very difficult times, and they were very, very honest and upfront with God about how they were feeling, about how he was handling things. So that's some of the books of the Old Testament. The New Testament, like I said, it's Jesus Christ. starts with the Gospels, the Christmas story. Jesus arrived. Jesus lived, performed miracles. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again and ascended into heaven. That's the Gospels. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in the New Testament as well. So this is, you've got your handout. I would love to have you kind of follow along with that. That's just a very, very basic introduction to what we're going to be doing in this series. And really, if you want it to sum up, the way I would sum up the whole Bible is this. The Bible is about God and his relationship with his people. Okay, that's it. God has his people, and he wants to redeem them. He wants to have a relationship with them, and this whole book is all about that. So today we're going to start at the beginning, all right? So if you have a Bible, turn to the very beginning. Now, some of you might be new, and I'm going to maybe explain things that some of you who have been in church, you're like, yeah, we know that. But I just, I, you know, I recognize there are people that this might be brand new. You might be the, this might be the first time you've opened up a Bible, and that's great. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. We're going through the New Testament, reading it as a church this year, our foundation's reading plan. We're in the book of Acts this week, so if you want more information about that, we'd love to have you read through the New Testament with us this year. But the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, each book is named, and now I, I recognize some of you might not even know, okay, the big numbers and the little numbers. There's a big number, Genesis chapter 1, that's the chapter, and then there's the little numbers all the way throughout. Those are the verses. So if we ever say Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you look for Genesis, 
You look for the big one and then the little one, and it's going to say this. And we're going to start here today um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's like the best opening line to a book ever, all right? We're going to read that together, and it'll be up on the screen if you don't have, note, or if you don't have a Bible with you. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That's a great opening line, right? It would sound better if I had like Morgan Freeman's voice. Like if Morgan Freeman read that, and right now you're imagining it, and yeah, it's pretty cool, pretty cool. But that's like great. I love that opening line. There was darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So this is the beginning of creation. And if you read Genesis 1, it's the account of God creating the universe. And so it goes on. And we've maybe heard this. It was six days of creation. So day one, God did this, and creation continues. If you read on, God created the land and the sea, the night and the day, the stars and the sun and all the animals and all the plants and everything we see in creation. And then he gets to verse 27, where he creates man and woman, where he creates humanity. And it says this in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. I'm glad he said that. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. That's verse 27 and 28. This is Bible, or this is the account of God creating creation, God making everything, including man and woman. This is a great intro to God. Now, I mentioned the genealogies and I mentioned the human history and looking at that and saying, well, this happened you know, about 6,000 years ago, about 4,000 B.C. So I just want to address this really briefly because some of you are like, there's no way, this guy's crazy. And some of you, maybe you know people who, who their number one reason for discounting the truth and accuracy of the Bible is because the Bible said this happened 6,000 years ago and there's no way because every scientist says it's 13 billion years and 5 billion years. And, and so this is a reason why a lot of people discount the truth of Scripture. There's no way this happened 6,000 years ago. So we did a series about a year and a half ago um, called The Skeptic and the Believer. So I'm going to highlight just a couple quick things. But if you want more, we talked about this in depth about a year and a half ago. If you can go on our church website and look for a series, I think it was last September, a year and a half ago, called The Skeptic and the Believer. And we dove into this about does science disprove God? Does science disprove the Scripture? I'm just going to talk a little bit about that today because we don't have a lot of time to dive really into, into that. So some people believe that these six days of creation where God created the heavens, God created the stars and the sky and the earth and the vegetation and the mountains and humans and animals, that each of those six days was not an actual 24-hour day, but that each day represents almost like millions of years of history. So, and then there are other people, and I would be one of these people, that do believe that this happened 6,000 years ago. Now, before you start booing me, like you booed Brooke with her terrible choice of Tom Brady jersey today, Here's how I don't believe that it's too far-fetched to believe that the earth and creation and the universe is 6,000 years old. Because I believe it's very plausible and possible that God created everything in an aged state. 
For example, Adam and Eve, the day they were created, if you went back and looked at Adam, you would have said, how old are you, Adam? And Adam would have said, well, I just got created today. And you would say, there's no way because you're a mature adult. You know, obviously you've been around for 20 years. You've got, you know, maybe he had a beard or maybe just one of those awkward teenage mustaches that, are, that the teenage boys are trying to pull off. You know, you would look at that and say, there's no way you're one day old. You're tw at least 25 years old. And then they'd say, well, what about this tree here? That tree has to be at least 200 years old. And Adam would say, I think that tree's about two days old. And that mountain over there is only about three days old. And, and I believe it's very possible that God who created the universe created it in a way that is aged that it looks like it's been around. So they would look at the Grand Canyon and say, that Grand Canyon took five billion years to get to where it is. And it's possible that God just decided to create the Grand Canyon as is, you know, that makes it look like it's thousands of years ago. So it's not outrageous to believe that this is accurate, that God created the earth, that God created the universe and the heavens and the earth in a way that it looked like it was millions or even billions of years old. But I don't want to get too far down that road today. You can, there's lots of books on that. Um, there's lots of resources on that, and you can listen to our sermon series from a year and a half ago if you want more information on that. But the main takeaway of this creation account as we start today is this. There's one God. There's one God. When Moses wrote this thousands of years after this happened, that would have been so revolutionary because every nation at that time had a different God for a different thing. If you wanted weather to cooperate so your crops would grow, you would have a different God for that. If you wanted health or prosperity for your family, you would have a different God for that. It was very polytheistic. God's everywhere. Everyone worshiped different. Every nation had their own God. And if your nation was victorious in battle, well, then your God was more powerful than the God of that other nation. Moses writes this down, and this would have been the showstopper. There's one God. One God who made everything. One God who is above everyone and everything else. And that is what we get out of Genesis. There is one God who is our maker. We are made by him. We are made in his image, as those words said in Genesis. And this all happened so that we could have a relationship with him. He made us in his image. We read those words. Let us create man and woman in our image. This is what God did. Now, this doesn't mean that we look like God. We have kind of the, well, again, Morgan Freeman. I think he played God. No, we have the idea of God being the old man with the gray hair and the beard and all that. God is a spirit. So we're not created in his image because we look like God. We are created in his image, meaning we are eternal beings. We have a soul. We have the ability to recognize God. We don't think about that idea enough, that we are eternal beings beings. We need to kind of allow that to affect more of our decision-making. It's not just about today. It's not just about life on this earth. Our souls are eternal. We are created in the image of God. We have a spirit. And this is what is different in us than the rest of creation. And God created it that way. We are made in his image as eternal beings with a soul. We are made in his image, which is why we place incredible value on every life. Every life, every life has value because it is created in the image of God. So we live in a world where value is assigned to people based on all sorts of lousy reasons. Who's got power? Who's got money? Who's got appearance that is desirable? All of these things. We have people walking around because they don't meet that standard of what we say is valuable in our society, and they're thinking, well, now I must be less valuable. If that's you today... 
Wherever you are on that spectrum, none of those things are why you have value as a person. You are valuable because you are created in the image of God. God knit you together. God created you with a soul, with an eternal soul, to have a relationship with him. That is why we have value, because we are created in his image. We are made in his image, which means we have an awareness of God. Evolution does not do a good job at describing why it is that we as humans, if we just evolved, we could have this concept of a God who loves us. We could have this concept of a God who created us. We are created by God to have a relationship. We have an awareness of God. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks. But this is how it all started. God created the heavens and the earth. God created man and woman. God created everything to be perfect. And it was perfect for a very short time. Because Adam and Eve fell, God gave humanity an ability to choose to follow God or to reject God, to love God or turn away, and Adam and Eve turned away and sin entered the world. And you can read about that in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Sin enters the world and there was great ramifications for us. There was great ramifications for creation. Everything became different. Everything got cursed because of sin. Why there's pain in the world, it's because of sin. Why there's hurt in the world, why people are capable of doing unimaginable evil is because there's sin in the world. That's why. It's, you know, maybe on a, on a much lighter level, next time you're at the gym and you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh, don't blame it on your, your eating too many donuts. Blame it on the fall of man, right? It's a part of the curse, it's a part of the curse. If you're like me, men in our 40s, I, I wonder, why is, why is there no more hair growing back here? And I think, well, I just blame the curse. It's the, it's the fall of man. I blame Adam for that. You know, why? Guys, let me just say this. You know, teenage boys, someday you're going to get to be 40, and you're going to have to worry about weird hair growing, like, on your knuckles and coming out of your ears. And that's part of the curse of man right there. That's the fall. We can blame Adam for that. And guys, I'm just telling you, some, all, your, all your wives or lady friends are saying, please do something about the ear hair. We don't want any part of that. So that's a, that's a free little bit of advice today, the part of the curse of mankind. Why all these things are happening in our worlds? because sin. And thus the saga begins of God's people choosing to be close to God, choosing to rebel against God, people turning their back on God. The main story is this. God wants his people to be close to him, to obey his plans and precepts, and to have a relationship, but yet over and over and over again, we turn from God and rebel. We turn from God and we say, I got a better plan. I don't want to follow you. I'm going to follow my own plan. And that is the story. God saying over and over, come back to me. Come back to me. I, you know, he uses all sorts of circumstances in people's lives to bring them back to him. And that's what we're going to see throughout the Old Testament. People turning from God and God saying, I want you to come back to me. Have that relationship the way you were designed to live. So after Adam and Eve, they have Cain and Abel. There are two sons of Adam and Eve. Now you're probably thinking, okay, today we have 7 billion people in the world. How did we get 7 billion people from Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel? All right, well, Adam and Eve would have had you know, back then the people lived a lot longer, you know, seven, eight hundred years. You can read about that. Um, so Adam and Eve would have had a number of children. We don't like to think about all of this, but they were, they multiplied. Okay, so it wasn't just Cain and Abel. But an interesting story in Genesis 4, if you're following along, this is the story of Cain and Abel. And we're, we're moving ahead. I know you're watching the clock and you'll be out of here before kickoff, I promise you. Um, you have Cain and Abel, and in Genesis 4, there's this story of Cain and Abel. 
they bring offerings to God, which is interesting to me. It's the first time that like a sacrifice or an offering to God was mentioned in the scripture. So we have this idea that God is relating to his people. They, he wants Cain and Abel to bring an offering of worship to God. So this idea of I want there to be a relationship with us, we see that with Cain and Abel. Now, Cain brings an offering that is half-hearted. He brings some extra, you know, extra crops from the field. He's like, I got this left over. I'll just give this to God. It'll be fine, okay? Abel is the one who brings the first fruits of the flock. He brings the best. He honors God with his best offering. So we see this right from the beginning, that this idea of us honoring God with our lives, God approves of that. And what happens is God rejects Cain's offering. says, you gave me half-hearted offerings. You gave me stuff that was like the leftover and the extra. Your heart is not really in it. Abel, your heart is in this, and I approve of your offering. Well, Cain gets really jealous, and you know this, and eventually Cain murders Abel. Okay, so I know there was more than four people on the earth at that time, but I remember thinking, man, we only had four people, and now one's got killed, and now we're down to three. How is this going to work? But humanity's off to a really great start, right? <laughs> you know, Adam and Eve, they fell, the curse, and now the next generation, one of them already killed the other person. You read that in Genesis chapter 4. But we see that God wants his relationship with his people. We see that God receives offerings that are brought to him in worship. But this continues. Cain and Abel, Cain murders Abel. There's so much more wickedness, more generations, more wickedness. And eventually, Genesis chapter 7 is when we get to, I think it's 7, oh, 6, is where God has had enough. He decides he wants a do-over, and that's Noah. We get to Noah and the ark. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. But we start over with Noah and the ark because God floods the earth. And now it's Noah and his wife, their sons and their wives, and we start over with them. But here's where I want to end today. And we got, you know, I got about 10 minutes left and I want to talk about this. Genesis chapter 12 is where we meet Abraham. And that's where we're going to stop. We're starting with creation and we're ending with Abraham today. And again, this is about 2,000 years of human history. I know we're covering it. We're going through it quick. Some of you are saying not that quick. But we're going through it quick considering it's about 2,000 years of human history. We have the story of Abraham. He's known as Abram at first. And what, God, what happens in the Old Testament is a lot. Even in the New Testament is God changes the name of somebody. You were Abram. Now you're going to be Abraham. I'm giving you a new name because I'm doing something new in you. And I love that God does that. But he has uh, us introduced to Abraham in Genesis 12. And I'm going to read the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So this is the start of the story of Abraham. And this is key because this is the beginning of God's covenant relationship with his people. God says to Abraham, I'm going to form you into a great nation. Your descendants are going to be so numerous that they are going to come, they're going to become a great nation. This would be the nation of Israel. This is how the Jewish people got started. They are the Jewish people, the sons of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, right? And I am one of them, and so are you. And actually we think, well, I'm not Jewish, so it doesn't really apply. So let's just praise the Lord and move our right arm. And the song doesn't really make sense, but we're having fun singing it, okay? This is the start of God's relationship with his people. 
Abraham, through your descendants, there's going to be a great nation, and I will be your God, and you will be blessed. This is God establishing the nation of Israel, which we see through the whole Old Testament. It's the story of the nation of Israel and God's relationship with them. This is where this begins. And God says, I want you to believe in me. I want you to walk with me and keep my commands, and I will be with you and I will bless you. Through faith in God, you will be counted as righteous. We know that we all have sin, and in the Old Testament, God said, if you will have faith in me, you'll be counted as righteous. Your sins will be forgiven. Again, we see that God is pursuing redemption with his people. And this is how the nation of Israel starts. But there's one problem with Abraham. He doesn't have any kids, right? So this, he, if you read this, Abraham and his wife Sarah are very old, well past the age where they would be able to have a child. And God is saying, you're going to have a child, and, you're gonna, and that child, you know, your descendants are going to be so numerous, like more than the stars in the sky. And Abraham and Sarah are like, well, there's, yeah, there was one problem. We don't have any kids, and we can't have any kids. And uh, how is that going to work? Well, Abraham is told he will have descendants, And he and his wife are old and childless. And this is a great story of faith and trust while you wait for the promise of God to be revealed. Because Abraham and Sarah, they never lose faith. Well, they do for a few moments. They make some poor choices. But they're they're believing that God is going to provide. And eventually, Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. And there's a, a story, one of the... It's a haunting story in Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham and Sarah finally have Isaac, and Isaac would have been, you know, maybe a teenager at the time. And God says, I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And, of course, Abraham's like, I can't do that. This is your promise. The whole na- the nation you said, I can't do that. Well, Abraham, as an act of faith and trust in God, he is about to go through with it. And if you know the story, you know this. He's about to make a sacrifice of his son, his only son, to honor God. And all of a sudden, they discover there's a ram or a lamb caught in the, in the thicket or in the bush. And the, and the angel of God says, don't harm your son. Make a sacrifice of this lamb as well. I see now that you fear God and that you are going to go through with it, that your trust is in me. And so instead, the lamb is sacrificed on Mount Moriah, the mount where God provides. The lamb is sacrificed And Isaac is saved, and that's through Abraham's faith that he is credited as righteous before God. He made that act of faith, God, I trust you. And therefore, God said, because of your faith, you are now righteous in my eyes. Obviously, this is foreshadowing of a couple thousand years later where God, our heavenly Father, would send his only son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice. The Lamb of God was sacrificed for us so that we could be saved through that. And because of that, we are credited as righteous in God's eyes. But that's a great story of Abraham and Isaac. And over and over throughout the Old Testament, as we wrap up here in a couple of minutes, we see this truth, that God is pleased by the faith and the trust and the obedience of his people. God creates mankind to have a relationship with them. He provides ways for them to be redeemed. And the way he sets it up in the Old Testament is, believe in me, have faith in me. Have faith in what I'm doing. Trust me and obey me, and you will be credited as righteous. That's how we have this relationship with God. Well, Abraham didn't fully realize this at the time, but that mountain he was standing on, Mount Moriah, and maybe you know this. I found this somewhat interesting. That mountain he was on was Mount Moriah. 
And that land and that mountain was part of the land that God would give Abraham. God said to Abraham, go, or I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land that's going to be yours. It's the promised land. We've heard that before. Well, Abraham was on that land right there. There's a long journey that's leading up to when they would become a nation, and we're going to get into that next week. But Abraham was standing on that mountain after his son was saved, Mount Moriah, where, the God, where God provided a lamb. Well, that same mountain as part of the promised land would be that mountain where God would build a temple, where Solomon would build a temple to God thousands of years later when the nation of Israel is a nation. On that mountain is where they built the great temple of Solomon, a place to worship God. Well, that temple was eventually torn down. And then years before Jesus came, they rebuilt it. The end of the Old Testament is about rebuilding the temple on that same mountain, Mount Moriah. And that is the same spot where Jesus would walk, where Jesus would offer worship, where Jesus would teach and perform miracles. That is the same spot where that temple was. And eventually, about 30 years after Jesus died, that temple was torn down again on that same spot where Abraham stood. And it's never been rebuilt. It's never been rebuilt to this day. On that day now, you can go to that same spot on Mount Moriah where Abraham almost sacrificed his son where the temple of Solomon stood, where the second temple where Jesus taught stood. You can go there in Jerusalem right now on Mount Moriah. But what is right there, what's there right now is uh, the Dome of the Rock. So if you've seen Jerusalem, you've seen the, the building with the golden dome, that's the Dome of the Rock. It's actually a Muslim or an Islam temple right now. It is part, it would be the, the piece of land that is most valuable, most controversial, most hotly contested because that spot is very key to the Jewish faith because of what we read today. It's very key to the Christian faith, because that's the temple, and we read that there's going to be another temple that's built. And it's very key to the Muslim faith for reasons I don't really understand, but everyone knows that that is kind of a central location. But what we read about at the end of the New Testament is there's going to be a third temple built there one day in the future. And events around that third temple are going to usher in the end of the world. And all the things we can read about in the book of Revelation, but we are getting way too far ahead of ourselves right now because we still got seven weeks. Some of you are like, yay, we got to the end of Revelation, we're done. No, we still got seven weeks. We still got lots more to cover. So today, we started at the beginning and we made it about halfway through Genesis where God created people. He formed a covenant relationship with his people where faith in him would show that they love him and that they would be made righteous. So, Grant, if you could throw up that last slide, here's our little recap of today. Long story short, here's what we learned today. It's all about God. It's all about God. He loves you. You were created by him in his image with an eternal soul. You have great value and worth, and the purpose of your life is to have a relationship with God through faith in him. That's what we learned today. That's the long story short of the first part of the Old Testament. It's all about God. And you have to know, and we, we talked about this in our time of worship today. He loves you. He loves you. You have to recognize God's love for you, God's plan for you, God's purpose for your life. Whatever you're dealing with right now, you have to know God created you with a plan to have a relationship with him so that he could bring about his characteristics in you, so that he could build a life of faith in you. This is why you're here, to have a relationship with God. Some of you need to open up your heart today and say, I've been living my life for me. And I need to recognize there's a higher purpose for my life. I was created, I was knit together, I was formed with great value in the image of God so that I could have a relationship with God. Amen? And we have eternal souls. 
So we are here to have a relationship with God, and we have to recognize we are here for a long time. Our souls are eternal. We will be spending eternity someplace, either with God or away from God. And that choice is ours. That choice is yours, to open up your heart to a relationship with God so we can spend eternity with Him. This is the decision we all have to make. And I want to urge you and encourage you. This is a decision I would love to have you make. I want to be with God. I want that relationship with God. We have eternal souls. We have great value and worth. And your life is here because he wants to have a relationship with you. God made you to have a relationship with you. This is why we are here. This is what we see, long story short, in the first part of Genesis. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.